Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us for episode 566 with Mike Michalowicz. Mike is sharing what to fix next so you can better focus, you can stop the firefighting and get more good, solid stuff done that matters. You'll learn one, how to identify what you need to fix next. Two, a crucial question you're forgetting to ask. And three, the tremendous energy unleashed by providing the context for goals. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, Expand the episode notes or show description in your podcast app player or visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash EPEP566 and you'll find them that away with handy clickable links on our website. Now here's Mike's story. Mike Michalowicz is the entrepreneur behind three multi-million dollar companies and is the author of Profit First, Clockwork, The Pumpkin Plan, and his newest book, Fix This Next. Make the vital change that will level up your business. Mike is a former small business columnist for the Wall Street Journal and regularly travels the globe as an entrepreneurial advocate. Big thanks to Mike for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. And big thanks to our sponsor, Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. NerdWallet.com, whom I love on these sorts of matters, gives Acorns a whopping 4.7 stars and says, quote, if you want to make the most of your spare change, there's no better place to do that than Acorns. Head to acorns.com slash awesome or download the acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today and we got a legal disclaimer here it may not be representative of all clients tier one compensation provided compensation provides an incentive to positively promote acorns view important disclosures at acorns.com awesome investing involves risk including the loss of principal please consider your objectives risk tolerance and acorns as fees before investing acorns advisors llc acorns is an sec registered investment advisor brokerage services are provided to clients of acorns by acorn securities llc member at finra slash sipc for more information visit acorns.com now, here's Mike. Mike, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, it's my joy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm excited. I've really enjoyed your audiobooks. Uh, <laughs> and you're kind of a goofball, which uh, I am too. So I think uh, feel free to cut loose here. It's interesting. We had another guest, Simon Sinek, who dubbed you as a top contender for the patron saint of entrepreneurs. Unbelievable. Which is high praise. And um, That's unbelievable. I'm familiar with some stories of saints, and often they include uh, heroically facing adversity. And uh, one of my favorite stories from you involves uh, a tough night at dinner and yeah. uh, some people coming to your aid. Can you share that with us to frame up what you're all about? Yeah, yeah. You know, so I started my entrepreneurial journey very early in life, right after college, and uh, had a couple early wins under my belt. I, I sold my first tech company, I was in computer technology. First tech company was a private equity exit. My second company was a Fortune 500 acquired us. And I'm like, I am hot shit. I know everything. <laughs> Which, uh, by the way, seems like to be the, the, the impetus or the, the start of the downfall for many a person when we believe we know all. And I was just full of arrogance and ignorance. Well, I started a third business that I, I leave off my CV conveniently <laughs> uh, as an angel investor. And I sucked at it. I, I had no idea what I was doing. I just thought, hey, I'm so smart. I know everything about business. As long as I'm here, we're making money. I started 10 companies, and within a mere six months, all of them were out of business. I was paying bills 
for businesses that didn't even exist anymore. And, uh, and also through blue money on just arrogance, uh, you know, the big house, uh, I got a place in Hawaii for our sabbatical, our family sabbatical, I just blew money on the cars and all stuff. And it took me two years. I got a call from my account and he said, Mike, you're, uh, you've hit rock bottom. I think you should declare personal bankruptcy. Something I actually didn't do. I felt I was responsible, but as a consequence, I had to lose my possessions. We, we got rid of our house. We lost our house 30 days later, uh, cars, everything. Well, I came home the night I heard this from my accountant and uh, had to face my family because I hadn't been telling them the truth of the struggles. I thought, I really did think, even though my bank account was dwindling at a, a exponential rate, that somehow someone would come in and save the day and acquire this mess I had created, but nothing happened. And uh, I came home to my family and told them we're done. We lost it all. And I was sobbing. I was devastated. And um, I had to face my wife and say, I'm sorry, we're losing the house um, and, and we're losing our cars and we're losing our possessions. And my daughter was nine years old at the time and she's sitting there and I said, I'm so sorry, but I can't can't afford for you to go to horseback riding lessons. It was like 25 bucks for a group session. And she stood up and just ran away. She was, everyone was crying and she ran away. I thought she was running away from me. She ran away to her bedroom to grab her piggy bank. And she ran back down to me as fast as she could. And she says, daddy, since you can't provide for us, please use my money to support us. And uh, if I think I'm getting chills thinking about it, I've said that story so many times and still it's devastating. I'm so ashamed of, why of who I was and the arrogance and the ignorance and that I forced my daughter, my nine-year-old daughter to save me. Well, that triggered uh, years of struggle for me to, to reconcile that. Um, I actually went through depression. I drank and um, ultimately discovered that that moment actually has become a source of light, a seedling for me to realize I didn't know much about entrepreneurship, that I had to fix these things. And that became the spark for becoming an author. I, I write my business books to solve problems, not only for others, but for my own problems, my own misunderstandings around business and simplify the journey and hopefully prevent others from experiencing the fallacies and the arrogance and ignorance that, that I did. Mm. Well, that is powerful. And thank you for sharing that again with our audience here. My joy. So you are renowned as an author for entrepreneurs and small business owners. And, you know, in chatting with your publicity folks, it's like, well, I love Mike's flavor, but we've got a little bit of a different uh, audience here, which is more so professionals, kind of in the middle of the hierarchy as opposed to the owners. Yeah. But there's a lot of great sort of tools and frameworks and approaches that are totally applicable. And your next opus here, Fix This Next. So can you orient us a little bit in terms of what's the book about and why is it helpful? Yeah. So what I, what I did is I, I wanted to figure out, is there a common DNA or structure for businesses? And I'm convinced I found it. And it's something that we all can use regardless of our, our title or role. We all have a responsibility for the health of the business because collectively it moves us all together. So what I did was I, I wanted to see if there was a common DNA. And I first started looking at humanity ourselves, me, you, everyone listening in. If you look at the essence of who we are, we're identical. If you peel back the stuff we judge, the skin, the height, male, female, and we look at the essence of it, the makeup is basically the same. Like if, if I was having a heart attack, the doctor wouldn't say to me, um, where's your heart? Do you, do you keep it in your foot? Or, you know, mm -hmm. is it in your ear? No, the, the heart's in the same place for all of humanity. So we, they know how to operate on us. 
Well, the same is true for business. If we peel back the skin of the business, a manufacturer versus a professional services company or vice versa, we will find there's a common structure. That's why I call the business hierarchy of needs. The business hierarchy of needs, I translated from Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which defines human needs. So just as a quick you know, session on Maslow, Maslow is studying human needs and discovered and argues that all of us have base physiological needs. We need to breathe water and drink, I'm just breathe water, breathe air, <laughs> drink water, eat food. And if those needs aren't being satisfied, then we can't survive. But once those are satisfied, we go to the next level, which is safety needs. We need protection from the elements or harm. Once that's satisfied, we move on to belonging, the need for relationships and so forth. And we keep on climbing up ultimately to self-actualization. But if at any time a base level need is not satisfied, say you and I are having this conversation, we consider it uh, intellectual conversation, we consider it as part of self-actualization. If I start choking on the food I'm eating, well, all of a sudden my Maslow hierarchy brings me right down to the physiological need of getting that out of my throat. Well, our business has a hierarchy of needs too. Real quickly, they are sales. That's the foundation. That's the creation of oxygen for business. Profit, the creation of stability for an organization. Without it, a business can't sustain. Order, the creation of efficiency, uh, consistency. Then there's impact, which is the creation of transformation. It's where we have service to our clients beyond the transaction, beyond the commodity. And then the highest level is legacy, which is the creation of permanence, where there's no dependency on the the people who are running the operation, the company is designed for its, its continued service and others can come and go, but the business lives on permanently. The difference between Maslow's hierarchy and the business hierarchy, while they're very similar, is, is one great distinction. Maslow talks about human needs and how we are biologically, neurologically wired into our needs. If you and I, Peter, are walking down a dark alley and we get like the, the creeps that someone's gonna kill us, what will we do? We will hopefully turn around and walk out. And we should because our senses, sight, smell, touch, those senses are triggering there's danger here. But the thing is, we as business professionals are not neurologically wired into our business. We say we trust our gut. And, you know, I think this is what we got to do. I can feel it. But really, we need the empirical data to evaluate exactly what the true need is in our business, focus on that, resolve that, and then move on to the next need, resolve that, and so forth, and continue the progress forward. Mm-hmm. Okay, certainly. And so then let's talk about the particulars for how that can be transformational for folks. I'd love to hear some tales about some professionals, some organizations who applied some of this rigor to great effect. Yeah. So uh, I'll share a coffee or a shop that does this and, and the team ride about it, rallied around it, you know, with what's going on as we're recording this with the uh, economic crisis, COVID, there's companies responding. And, um, Let's let's evaluate the business hierarchy of needs just a little bit further. So the business hierarchy of needs, the five levels, the foundational need is sales. Now again, sales is the creation of cash. If your product, your service, your company, your division does not have consistent sales, it is not bringing oxygen into that division. So we need to address that first. And you address it to the adequate level of supporting profit. And that's actually the simple base question. Do I have enough sales to support profitability? If I don't, we have a sales issue. If we do have enough sales to support profit but are not profitable, we actually have a profit issue. Do we have enough margin? Are we controlling the debt uh, we have and so forth? Once profit is addressed, do we, we ask ourselves, is it adequate to support the layer above it, which is order, efficiency? Now, one, one argument I want to make here is that we're not ignoring efficiency. You, know, you have to have some order and uh, efficiencies in our sales process when we're doing that. You have to have 
some uh, system for profitability. I'm just saying this is when it becomes your concentrated effort. You know, you don't ignore sales when you're working on order. You, you continue it, but they must work in relation. When you get to the order level, this is where it becomes our concentration to resolve uh, efficiency. And I'll talk about, actually, let me start off with this story because I think it's the best. This is uh, Ole Miss. Ole Miss, the University of Mississippi, is in the SEC conference. I mean, talk about an organization, thousands and thousands, actually, I think tens of thousands of employees, a massive organization. They implemented the business hierarchy of needs um, in their own form. They, they did this before I wrote the book, but they were following this process inherently. And what they noticed back in, uh, I believe it was early 2000s, that the school had noticeably less applicants than any of the other SEC schools. So the first thing we do is when we have a problem, we ask ourselves, where's the residence hierarchy? Well, applications is similar as prospects. Mm -hmm. They had less prospects and that's a sales level need. So the company identified, okay, we have a need in the sales level, the most foundational level of the business hierarchy. Then they asked, what's the triggers behind it? And they went through a process called OMEN. I, I write about it in the Fix This Next book, but OMEN stands for Objective, Measurement, Evaluation, Frequency, Nurture. It simply means identify what the problem is, measure the process, regularly revisit it, and tweak and change things as we move along, nurture. They identify this challenge of not getting enough prospects, and they start interviewing prospects of, of why they aren't signing up, and they find that the primary reason is the campus ain't so pretty. The, one of the biggest determining factors of a student picking a college happens within the first five minutes of visiting a campus. It's their first impression. And back then, Ole Miss didn't have such a pretty campus. So they realized we have an issue. They then went to their front line, the people that beautify the campus, the landscape maintenance team. And they said, we need a more attractive campus. What do we need to do? Well, interesting. And this happens sometimes with the business hierarchy that needs get interlinked. And the, the maintenance team said, well, we want to do beautification projects. We don't have enough time. You know, their campus is a thousand plus acres. That's a lot of acreage to maintain. And uh, they only have a crew of a certain size. And so Ole Miss was, was forced upon this decision. Do we double or triple our team or do we enable our team to find alternative solutions? Well, it wasn't in their budget to triple the maintenance team. So the team had to figure it out. And uh, one thing they noticed is the biggest time-consuming element. Now, this is an efficiency thing, an order level. One of the challenges at the order level was how long it took to mow or maintain the properties. They had a, When they were mowing, the fastest way to mow uh, a property is to go in a straight line. But when they were coming upon trees, they had to navigate around the low-hanging limbs. When they got to a mulch pattern that was in a square, they had to kind of jostle around that pattern. When a garbage can was in the grass, they had to kind of go around and get out with a weed backer. So the team said, if we want to increase efficiency here, cut the limbs off the tree so we can go right under them, 10 feet high, uh, which, by the way, is a great way to beautify trees. They raise the limbs. They said, um, change the square patterns and angular patterns of mulch always to an oval so we can do sweeping motions right around it and continue on. They made decisions to increase efficiency, which allowed them now to maintain the property in half the time, freeing up the other half their time to work on beautification of the campus. Well, fast forward only a mere few years, Ole Miss became the most beautiful campus. It has a reputation for us, the most beautiful campus in the SEC conference, perhaps in all of the nation, one of the top rated campuses on attraction, on its beauty. And you won't be surprised they had an exponential increase in their prospects, their applications. So that's an example where leadership identified we have a problem, but instead of just saying, you know, we got to fix the way this place looks. They looked at the hierarchy and said, this is a sales issue. 
where where do prospects first enter the campus? That was our first beautification project was near the administrative buildings where students would come in, the student center and so forth. They spoke with the front line, the people that are closest to the problem and got their direction. And in this case, they killed two birds with one stone. They brought efficiency to the organization at the order level while addressing a sales issue. So that's an example of how this business hierarchy of need is a great way to diagnose and pinpoint what we need to work on. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that is awesome. And boy, way back in the day, we interviewed uh, Jeff McManus, who leads up that team. Oh, yeah. And Jeff was the leader <laughs> of that team. Yes. And so, yeah, there, you shared some more elements to the story. So that was fun. Well, so then I imagine then in a business or an organization, you're to come up with dozens or hundreds of problems or opportunities, yeah. <laughs> uh, as depending on your favorite reference, that you'd notice that could benefit from some attention. Yeah. So if you're thinking about the hierarchy of needs, how do you determine who wins? I mean, do the sales issues always win because they're at the base of the needs or how do we kind of navigate and triage that? Great question. As opportunities or challenges present themselves, you always address the base level first because if the base is compromised, the entire foundation, the structure is. I said I'd reference that coffee shop, so let me explain how they did this. This coffee shop was growing and uh, multiple uh, team members, they, they built a second location. They then opened a roastery facility where they're preparing uh, coffee. And what they noticed is they've been in business for 13 years, a rapidly growing coffee company. It's called Cottonwood Coffee, by the way, in South Dakota. And the leader of that organization, his name is Jacob, uh, noticed that when they looked at the business hierarchy of needs, that they had some sales issues um, in prospect attraction and so forth. But also said, we've been in business for 13 years. We're one of the most established providers in this area. We're beyond sales issues. We're really about impact and legacy of being of service to our community. And he tried to continue to focus there, but the business kept on kind of getting stalled in its growth. Well, finally, he said, you know what? Maybe it is a sales issue. And they went back to the community they were serving and how they were serving them. And by getting back to the base, all of a sudden that opened up sales and it allowed them to build up the rest of the structure. You know, picture this like building a actual structure, a building. And it has five levels. If you want to build a, a tall building with a big top, you're going to have a huge impact. You can't have a little uh, needle point structure below it. It'll collapse on that. It won't be strong enough. It's like a pyramid. You must have a foundation that's adequate and substantial to support the level above it. And that level must be adequate to support the next. If at any time we want to grow up stronger at a higher level, we need to make sure the foundation is appropriate to support it. So this is not a ladder. You don't just climb up and and aspire to be the top. You cycle through, constantly strengthening the base and the levels, uh, the lower levels to support the higher levels. Mm-hmm. Well, so I'm hearing that, um, I guess I'm just imagining a organization in which it's sort of like, okay, we got 60 problems slash opportunities, you know, they are sprinkled across all of these dimensions. Yeah. And some of them fall into sales. So I think it's a good argument that uh, you got to handle that to really kind of flourish and have that foundation. I guess I'm thinking in a way, you know, everything could always be better. So how do you go about maybe doing the data collection or the benchmarking to say, oh, I thought our sales were fine. Oh, but maybe they're not. I thought our profits were fine. Oh, but maybe they're not. Because I think they could always be better. Oh, yeah, everything can always be better. Mm -hmm. But they can only be better in relation. So the the simple question, and, you know, there is no specific number I can share, but what I can say is that, is the base adequate to support enough and substantial uh, elements of the next level? Is sales strong enough to support our target and goal and, and, and profit? And a lot of this is just communication. I'm surprised how many 
division leaders, we have uh, some public companies that have implemented the business hierarchy of needs, and these divisions are taking on without consideration of the overall business hierarchy of needs. So there's a greater business hierarchy, and then within it, each division becomes a its own little hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So we got to work in relation to that. So what's the major corporate goal and need specifically? Then we look back and we say, in our division or in our field of responsibility, do I have adequate sales to support the profit expectation for me? And uh, if so, then I actually have a profit issue if, if profit isn't there. It's not a sales issue. You know, sadly, I see businesses go, you know, we just need to sell more. We're going to sell our way out of this. It's the most common thing I see from business leaders. And it's one of the biggest mistakes because sales does not translate to profit. I see businesses sell unprofitable items. And while their sales dollars go up, the profit margins are getting thinner and thinner and the business is actually struggling more. So it's all in relation. We need clarity from the next one, uh, you know, who, who we're connected to, the next leader that we're working with. And what are the profit expectations to drive your needs? What are the sales expectations? What degree of efficiency? What, how many resources can we use to get this stuff done? And what are the turnaround times? Those are questions we have, to have clarity on. And that way, we're speaking up the chain all the way to the leader or leaders of our organization to understand the needs and they drive them back down. So it works in relation and it works through communication. Mm-hmm. Well, so then it sounds like there's expectation setting and communicating, you know, that's going forward. Oh, yeah, of course, right? Mm-hmm. It's funny. I say, of course, and yet it doesn't happen. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I am I'm shocked at how many businesses have arbitrary goals. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at is, is the arbitrariness. Like, how do we yeah. how do we unarbitrary them and make them based on something real? Yeah, yeah. And, and the simple question is why? And how does this serve us? You know, I worked for a Fortune 500 after I got acquired, and I was blown away by the lack of communication, um, or at least around goal setting. There's a lot of communication around uh, red tape, but there was not a lot of communication around goal setting. And so when when I was told, hey, Mike, your department has to do X, I said, why? And they're like, because that's what we told you. I'm like, but what's the reason behind it? And that started an understanding of, of, of the importance of how it serves the company in a greater whole. And now I had context. It actually empowered me uh, in that division, I only worked there for a year before I went back out to start my own business. But then it gave me context of why I need to achieve what I need to achieve. That's a very empowering thing. So so get the context. I love that so much because <laughs> when you asked why, they're like, what? I don't, what? <laughs> it's like, no one's ever really asked me that before, Mike. I just kind of accustomed to telling people what they need to do. And then they Try to do, do it. it. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was shocking. <laughs> and part of it, too, I think, was just history. Well, that's what we always do. We just pick 10% higher. Well, why not pick 50% higher? Well, because we never do that. <laughs> so that context, you know, and, and it isn't to be challenging in the confrontational sense. It's to be challenging in, in seeking clarity. And just because in that case, the leader of our department wasn't telling me that, didn't mean it was right to ignore that, um, that I had a responsibility to step up and ask, um, which made us both better leaders, I think, as a result. Okay, that's cool. Well, so then let's zoom in to a professional who's somewhere in, in the middle of things and they've been communicated a target. Uh, we need to reduce the manufacturing waste rate by 10% yeah. or yeah. the conversion rate of clients needs to be increased by 10%, like something. Yeah. And maybe you have a good conversation about, well, why? Oh, okay, I see how that makes sense and interfits interfits, interrelates and fits uh, with the other dimensions. How do you go about making that happen in terms of determining what to fix next within a a narrower scope of your responsibilities? 
Yeah. So this is where we present the hierarchy of needs. So you talk about conversion, you talked about manufacturing, you know, defect or efficiency. Yeah. So two separate kinds of responsibilities. Two separate things. One was a order level. One was a sales level. So what we do is we go back to our uh, department leads and say, listen, I'm, I'm being given direction in this hierarchy and there's two different demands. The default is we always go to the base, but do we understand, is that a necessity? Because those could be, the leader could be giving you arbitrary goals. You know, do we have adequate sales to first drive that efficiency and will that have greater impact on our business? Or do we need the sales in place first in order to uh, make the investment in building the efficiency? So we have to figure out the sequence. Right, like you might be too small to make investing in the super cool technology or robot Oh my God, I, I, I see companies that have so much potential efficiency, but so low flow, it becomes actually less efficient. Um, I worked with a major playset manufacturer, you know, one, one of the bigger ones, they're over a hundred million dollars in revenue. And uh, what was so fascinating is they had this massive equipment and uh, the complexity in setting it up was so time consuming. Now they had the demand. Once that system was set, it was just, you know, ring out process to process. So the gain was in more volume. But if they just put one playset through that, the 16 hours of setting up, someone could have hand painted three playsets on their own. Mm-hmm. It'd be faster to actually do hand painting. So this stuff always works in relation. Yeah, no, that's great perspective there. Okay, well then I'd love to hear in terms of sort of what's the alternative? Like if we're not thinking in this way, I guess it's arbitrary and you're not motivated and inspired because you're not connected to the why. You could uh, misallocate your resources and attention on things that don't really matter. Could you sort of share with us what does life look like when you're doing this versus not doing this? And what are some of the best and worst practices to making sure you're doing this well? So with the business hierarchy of needs and, and the fix this next process, the first thing we always talk about is what's called lifestyle congruence. It is the base of motivation. How does this serve you? If you do something, how does it serve you? And that's just how whole humanity is wired. So there's more than just the organizational needs. It's how does the organizational needs translate to the service of you? Does it give you an opportunity to climb the corporate ladder? Does it give you uh, actually more time, more free time? Or what, what objectives are you serving on your own? So there's that interpersonal relationship. Without the hierarchy of needs, without the understanding, I see business professionals get into a very much an action-reaction mode, meaning there's some trigger, a request, a demand, that incessant stream of email coming in, and we just put out fire after fire after fire. If something comes in, we react to it, but there's no contemplation. So the business hierarchy of need, the differentiator is an action, a trigger event happens, but now there's contemplation between the action and reaction. There's an intentional pregnant pause to say, how is this of service to the organization? How is this congruent with what I'm trying, trying to set as my own objectives? And now we move much more deliberately. The, the business hierarchy of needs helps us focus on the next impactful thing to do. Without it, people focus on the next apparent thing. And there's constant, there's a constant stream of apparent issues and so it becomes a randomization. Uh-huh. Those divisions, those leaders often make a few steps forward and there's a few steps back and a few steps forward. The ones who are deliberately identifying the most impactful thing and act on it are much more effective in moving forward consistently and growing to their objectives. All right on. So, well, can you walk us through uh, maybe a couple more examples of you know, there's someone and they've got a set of responsibilities for a division and then they are doing some real smart prioritization of fixing the right thing next. Yeah, so I was uh, working with a corporation, uh, which I want to leave nameless, but since the COVID incident, they've lost a massive volume of customers. Actually, they've experienced more, it's more massive churn. They're losing customers, but they're gaining. 
And uh, I sit on, I may or may not sit on the board of this company. So I maybe just gave it away there. Uh, but I sit on the board of this company and um, we had a impromptu discussion. The company was working on the impact level. Now, there, which by the way means you don't ignore sales. They have sustainable sales and it continues to grow on its own. But where the, where the concentrated effort needed to be was on impact of being greater and greater service. Well, all of a sudden with this shift and this drop in clients, because these clients are not business, they're a B2B business, and these other clients coming in, now all the attention went to sales. The leadership team redirected their focus and said, how do we cater to this new market? How do we service customers that are leaving us almost at a whim because of fear? How do we protect them uh, and, and retain a core function? They, they provide a very necessary function for these businesses. Without them, you may go out of business. You need this function. And how do we readdress it? So very quickly on the dime, they saw an issue present itself. Just when this case broke, they noticed the metrics, the empirical data of a drop of customers and all the leadership looked there and said, we will achieve legacy and impact. We have been satisfying that. But for now, we can't stop building that third and fourth floor of the building. We got to get back in the basement because we have a crack in the foundation and leadership went down there. They responded very rapidly as a result. And uh, the story will re reveal itself over the next months and perhaps a year or two ahead, but their quick response and deliberate response um, has put a tourniquet on potential massive loss if they just said, you know what, we're going to just continue to focus this level and, and not not redirect their attention. And and I think they would have been made aware of it because they always look at the business hierarchy of needs and are asking, where do we need our attention now? They responded quicker than if they weren't considering that hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And I'd love it if you could give us, are there any sort of shortcuts or really kind of quick questions or indicators or acid tests that might make you say, aha, I have a hunch that I need to focus my energies over here? Yes. Well, so a quick indicator is uh, if you're taking on debt, uh, if you are having increasing uh, demand on budgets and you don't have increasing sales. So if, if debt's increasing in excess of sales and profit, uh, that's a massive indicator that we actually have a profit issue. There's a margin issue in the organization. Um, one, one of the shortcut techniques that I love, I see companies implementing right now, is in repositioning. If an offering, if people are not buying an offering, um, to try to sell harder, particularly with the macroeconomics that's occurring now, is usually not the right response. We're using a technique we call it one step prior. And here's what it is. You look at your final offering. Let's use a restaurant because... It, probably everyone on this call has had experiences with a restaurant. When you go to a restaurant and you sit down, uh, they deliver food to your table. That's the end product. But if we look one step prior to that, well, what are they doing? They're carrying the food to you, they're delivering it. Well, that's an offering in itself, the delivery of food. And some restaurants are responding that way. What happens one step prior to that? Well, there's a preparation of food. You know, a restaurant could make that an offering, uh, make it a new product by recording the 10 most popular recipes and deliver that as a new product offering. What happens one step prior to that? Well, there's the procurement of raw materials, the, the inventory, the, the meats and vegetables. Maybe they can sell that. So I see organizations reconsidering if, if, if there's a stop in sales or you see some imperial data with a drop-off, one option too is reconsider the packaging in the first place. And that's a real simple shortcut to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Well, tell me, Mike, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Yeah, so um, the, the last thing I just want to mention is... Uh, well, there's a resource for you if I can share that. And there's a process. So I'll do the process first. It's called OMEN, O-M-E-N, stands for Objective Measurement 
evaluation frequency, and nurture. Once we identify what to work on, you can use OMEN as a simple structure to measure and ensure the progress, the results you want. Then uh, there's a resource that I'm encouraging people to use because it's, it's totally free and it's a quick evaluation for your division, your business. It's at fixthisnext.com. So if you go to fixthisnext.com, you click on free evaluation, um, you can take a five-minute, it's a series of questions to really pinpoint what to work on next. And there's no download. It just, it just the results appear on the screen and you can take action on it. So it's a good compass or guidance tool. Awesome, thank you. Well, now could you share a favorite quote so that you find inspiring? Oh, I have it above my desk at home and uh, I'm gonna bring a big uh, one and put it in our hallway here at our office. Be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. In my final assessment of business and a life, the most successful people are the ones who are most joyous. And it's the ones who truly are simply themselves and allow the business to be a platform to be more of themselves. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Um, right, <laughs> right now I'm studying um, quantum physics mm-hmm. and I'm studying this concept of, uh, well, basically time relativity, but but basically that uh, we're in a box universe. Uh, actually, that's not even the right term, but, but that all... Um, time has happened simultaneously. So the past, the present, and the future has already all occurred. It's all available. It's time slicing effectively. And it's just, it's a mind wrap. I've been studying it uh, intensely and really trying to wrap my head around it. And it's just changing my perspective of life itself. Wow. Uh, (laughs) Could you point us to a book, a resource to get into that? Yeah, well, Stephen Hawking has some good research around that. Uh, Uh uh, Simple answers to big questions is a good starting point. Uh And then um, the BBC has some really great basic teachings in some of those ethereal concepts. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite book in general? Well, I, I say current one, is it's appealing to me. It's, it's called 100 Days of Rejection by Jia Jiang, I think is his last name. And uh, it's just this guy who studied the power of intentionally being rejected. It's really a cool concept. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? We use a tool called Voxer here at our office for rapid communication it's a really cool way to batch communication and keep a record of communication. I think particularly in the virtualization of business that's really being enforced now, you have to, that we need a new way to have still a semi-tactile experience uh, and engage. And this is superseded voicemail or email. It's just a better form of communication for us called Voxer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my friend Lisa, who's also on the podcast, Lisa Cummings, loves Voxer. And how about a favorite habit? Something that helps you be awesome. Well, I, every morning I exercise. And uh, after that, I do a singing bowl. It's, it's a, a bowl that you hit and you can rub a stick on it and it rings. And I use that for meditation or prayer time. And it's just a great way for me to put thoughts out into our world and universe and a great way to sense relief too. So you move the bowl and... Do you say anything or just think or? No, it's sing- so a singing bowl, it's like a bowl, like you would, a cereal bowl made out of metal. You tap a stick on it and it makes a chime sound. I think I've seen that, yeah. And then as you move the stick around, the vibrations continue. So the chime actually gets louder and louder and you can make it softer and there's ways to change directions on the chime. And the visualization I use is it puts out sound waves or vibrations into the world. And so as I have my thoughts, I, and I put thoughts out, for the goodness of humanity, of people, health. I can see it visually going out. So it's kind of a cool visualization tool and an audio tool. Mm-hmm. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks and they uh, quote it back to you often? You know what? One thing that's been really powerful is people speak the truth through their wallets. 
not their words. And I've used that as an asset is, is measure people by their action, particularly when we're in a business. Are they willing to spend it or not? Because if, if they're saying we support this, we love it, and they don't spend, they don't support it. They don't love it. <laughs> I've lived that a few times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? So you can go to fixthisnext.com to do that evaluation. And if you want to learn more about my research of business and business operations, uh, you can go to mikemichalowitz.com. But here's the deal, Pete. No one can spell Michalowitz. So I have a shortcut. It's Mike Motorbike, as in the motorcycle. Mm -hmm. It was my nickname in high school, so I still own it. So mikemotorbike.com. And if you go there, all my research uh, is available for free on blogs and podcasts. I also have my books there. I used to write for the Wall Street Journal. And it's all for free at mikemotorbike.com. Mm -hmm. And you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, listen, this is the time to step up. And uh, the world kind of got punched all business leaders in the face right now and is also asking you to turn up the heat because we need the economy to keep going. So the call to action is really a call to arms. It's it's time for us as business professionals to step up, step forward and start start kicking some ass. All right. Mike, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. I wish you all kinds of luck as you're fixing things next. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Thank you. I love so much of what Mike had to say. And I'm going to zero in a couple of things. One was when you said the most successful people are the ones who are most joyous, who truly are simply themselves. And I really do see that. It's like we heard earlier about folks who were or primal or tapping into the primitive drive and they're all a little bit nuts. <laughs> and here, I think that really bears out. Like folks are just loving, doing their thing, dorking out, finding the joy, being themselves and great things are flowing from that. And the other one was when his boss gave him the goal, the objective, and he asked why. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much because it's just like surprising to everybody. Like, what? Uh, no one's ever really asked me that. But when you ask the why, you get the context, which gives you some more motivation. It gives you a, a broader understanding and perspective of the strategic interdependencies of your organization and what you're after and how your stuff fits into the broader stuff and what you might need to do as a result to make that work. <laughs> I love it. It's like, this is the goal. Why? <laughs> Awesome stuff. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash app 566. If you haven't already, I encourage you to push subscribe. You'll catch our next guest, Kristen Neff. She is sharing how to be and why to be more self-compassionate. If you've been beating yourself up at your lack of productivity and distractedness amongst this pandemic situation, well, I think she may have just the antidote for that. I hope to catch you there and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.